I should just let y'all go home. There's like nothing I can do. It's not going to be a downer <laughs> after that. <laughs> wow. Um, we're continuing this series called The Thinker, and uh, each week I've reminded people and people that are maybe here for the first time, it, it's been a different series of messages in that we've done something exceedingly unusual for uh, this church, at least, and I hope all churches. We've kind of said we're going to set the Bible aside, and we're just going to use our powers of observation and reason, and we're going to ask some really big questions. We started out in the first message, you know, is, is there a God, and if there is, what would this being be like? Just using our powers of observation and reason. And by the way, if you didn't hear or view that first service, I've said each week and I'll say it till the end of the series, please go back and see it because it was kind of foundational for everything else. But we concluded by just using reason and observation that God, not only did God, not only does he exist, but that he is a Christ-like being. We, we did all that just from observation. Then what we're doing in this series is after we observe and we think, we go back and we compare our conclusions with what, in fact, the Scriptures say. So we do go back. So today we come to this question, uh, assuming, like that we've, like I say, proved more or less, uh, to some people's satisfaction at least, that there is such a being as a God, and that this being is a Christ-like being in its personality, why would seeking such a being be the most important thing in life? And I want to start by saying that sometimes in churches, uh, God has been kind of depicted in a very negative way, that this is sort of this grim duty. You know, you just, you have to seek God. You know, he's the, the king of the universe, and he deserves our respect, and it's your duty that you seek him with all your heart and that sort of thing. And, and kind of behind that is this notion that, frankly, God is kind of this cosmic spoil sport, you know, this killjoy that... You know, all he wants to do is just kind of box us in, give us a bunch of rules, and he really doesn't understand us, he really doesn't love us, he really doesn't want us to reach our highest happiness and fulfillment, and that, frankly, is just not true. And I'm so sorry if you've maybe been in a church setting or had a conversation with somebody that's affiliated with Christ that gives you that impression that it's a grim duty, you know, to seek God, because I hope by the end of this message you'll be uh, convinced yourself that just isn't so. So... Here we are. This is what kind of Sunday? Super Bowl Sunday. That's right. Don't worry. There's no sense of trying to act spiritual. Everybody's going to be watching it, okay? And, and we're still going to have our 4 o'clock service, but, man, we're going to be getting it over with quick because I know I can't compete with the Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, here we go. Here's some stats. 111 million viewers, most of us will be watching this. The average seat price, $4,613. And for that one person in the turf seat, I guess it's one, 279000 Any of you, you the turf seat person? No, you would be there already. Uh, 30-second TV ad, $5.2 million. And so people, people are really seeking this event. And, and most of the people that are viewing, they're seeking, honestly, they're seeking to watch one person perform, one person who is considered by most to be the greatest of all time. And we all know who that is, right? Who is it? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't expecting that, were you? But that's the truth. He's the genius. You were thinking of this guy. Yeah, right, right, right. right. And, and he, I think, may be the greatest of all time. It's so embarrassing. Everywhere I go, people mistake him and me. It, it's... <laughs> I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the ears. I'm not sure. <laughs> but it's a fascinating thing. 
that was too. <laughs> Whatever just interestingly happened. 111 million people spending all kinds of money, driving distances, doing all kinds of things, seeking to watch uh, this group of people, two teams of people, if we want to really spread it out, that do something, they do something at a very, very high level. And when you really break it down and deconstruct it, it's kind of hilarious. Imagine that you were from another world and you're trying to explain football. Well, they, they take this piece of pointy inflated leather and then they hand it to people. And that's why we go. And sometimes they throw it to people. And that's why we pay them millions of dollars. You know? So it's kind of a strange thing. And yet people will go in droves because they recognize there's talent. There's, there's something, there's an ability that these people have that we just don't have. So when I ask myself the question, why, does, why do we seek anyone? Before we even ask the question of why would seeking God uh, as, you know, first and foremost be appropriate. Why, why do we seek anyone? And I believe there's three basic reasons. I believe we seek some people because of their personal magnetism. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, it's just like I said, Super Bowl-wise. Some people's talent is so compelling that we will seek them to uh, see them perform in their talent. It might be a musician, it might be an actor, it might be an athlete, it might be something else. Some people are just so intelligent and interesting and fascinating that their personal magnetism, <laughs> we went through this in the first service too, uh, it, draw, it draws them, we, we are drawn to them. So that's one reason that you and I, you think about this, there's people in your life you seek out simply because they're a talent or they're attractive or they're intelligent or they're fascinating or interesting. That's one reason. The second reason we seek people is relational warmth. We all will seek to uh, be with people. We'll seek them out who are close to us. It might be family. It might be friends. It might be spouse. It might be boyfriend, girlfriend. But relational warmth will cause us to seek somebody. There's a third reason I think that we seek people, and that's practical help. You know, we, we find in life that there are certain things that we just can't do, and so we need help at it. Um, you and I normally don't go around thinking about our plumber all the time, unless you happen to be married to a plumber, in which case you probably think about him a lot or her a lot. But uh, we normally don't. However, if your basement's flooded or you flush your toilet and everything goes up instead of down, you're thinking about that plumber, and you're going to seek you're going to seek that plumber out. Your car breaks down, you're going to seek your mechanic, but you don't really think about your mechanic an awful lot until you need the help. You need uh, a doctor, and you will seek the doctor out. And so practical help, these are the reasons we seek anyone for any reason. Personal magnetism, relational warmth, or practical help. So if we think about these terms and we kind of allow ourselves to ask the question, well, well why then uh, would we want to seek God and why would we seek him as the most important thing in life? Uh, here, here's the first reason we come to. Because of his singular worth, uh, there's something about God that's different. If we look at personal magnetism, you know, he is more interesting, more fascinating, more intelligent, more powerful, more influential than anyone in the universe. There's a, a verse that I'd like to turn us to. It's Acts chapter 17, verse 24. It says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Notice, he made the world and everything in it, all the diverse uh, life forms. He's the creator of it. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. It goes on. 
And God did this so that they would what? Seek him. God wants us to seek him. Notice he doesn't push himself on us. He's too intimidating. He's all powerful. He's almighty. He knows that, that this thing has to come from us. We have to want him. He put us on this planet in various ways to, so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So when it comes to personal magnetism, I mean, there's no one more interesting, no one more intelligent, powerful, talented uh, than this being we call our creator, than God. Well, the second thing we said is that sometimes personal warmth will cause us to seek people. Well, what, what about warmth when we apply it to God? In Luke 19.10, it speaks of Jesus. It says that, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save who? The lost. And by the lost, he didn't mean bad people. He meant anybody that's not yet been reconciled to their creator. It says in Scripture that we were made by Christ and for Christ, and apart from him, our life doesn't hold together. But he comes seeking us. Now, now we're going to go seeking Tom Brady and, and Bill Belichick today and some of the other, that, that trader that left the Redskins that coaches the Rams. I don't even want to think about him. He should have stayed with the Redskins, but we couldn't keep him. Anyway, we're going to go seeking them, but... But here's the thing I can be sure of, and you can be sure of, no matter how, how many of you are, Ra are, are uh, Rams fans. Let me see your hands. Yeah, I'm just so sorry for you. <laughs> now, the Rams actually won when this um, matchup happened, what was it, 2003 or 2006 or something like that? Anyway, um, we will seek them, but they will not seek us. Tom Brady will not come seeking you or me. Um, Sean McVay will not come seeking, you, you know, you Rams fans. But here we have the creator of the universe who comes seeking us. He says, yes, I want you to seek me, but I'm also going to come seeking you. He's not going to force himself on us, but he still comes seeking us. That, that's relational warmth. There's another verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, that gets even deeper. It says, this is real love. Not that we what? Not that we love God. He knows we don't love him. He knows that you know, he loves us. He's just kind of being very open and saying, I love you, but I know you don't exactly love me. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Why would love and the taking away of sins be connected? Because God knows that it is sin that is destroying our highest well-being and happiness. It is sin that is deteriorating us body and soul. It is sin that is destroying our world. It is sin that is the cause that no time in human history has there been a season where there's not war and bloodshed and controversy and friction. And so God wants to save us essentially from ourselves. And our misbehavior because we don't know how we're designed. We, we don't know the laws of our being. And God wants to save us. And he sent himself. He came in Christ to try to convince us that we could trust him. So that he could then break the spell, break the power of sin and self-destruction over us. So again, love. This being is love. We, we said that there's two conditions. You know, one would be that this person has personal magnetism. God's got the best personal magnetism in the universe. The other one is love. He is sacrificially loving toward us. And then we said the third one was help. There was a guy named John Ortberg, and um, he talks about a condition called FTT. His wife was in her early years a nurse, and she didn't like a lot about nursing, but she loved the diagnostic part. And she came home one, night, one evening, and she told him about this condition that a child was diagnosed with, and they put on the chart FTT. Um, I'm just curious, any of you, haven't you noticed what FTT stands for? Some of you might. Yeah, it's failure to thrive. 
And what it means when it's put on a baby's chart is that for some reason, this baby just won't gain weight. It, it won't grow. It's failing to thrive and develop the way it was designed to, the way a healthy baby, baby should develop. And so when I look at history in the human race, when I, when I look at the way our history has shown us to be, I think it's safe to say that we fail to thrive. We, we never reach that highest happiness that each of us is capable of imagining. We never reach the stabilized peace that we all wish would be. We just don't reach it. We hurt ourselves, we hurt one another, and we don't even mean to. We're, we're just kind of experimenting our way through life, but we, we definitely fail to thrive. And so God comes to our rescue. Listen to this passage from Amos. It says, for thus saith the Lord, seek me, but, but why seek me? Seek me because I'm an imperial king and I'm a ruler and you better seek me because I own you. That's not what it says. It says, seek me, why? That you may live. It might be said, seek me that you may thrive. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and then they might have life to the full. We get this notion, like I said earlier in the message, that God is kind of this cosmic killjoy, but that's far from the truth. The truth is he wants to lead us into the very highest kind of happiness that we can experience, the highest well-being and happiness, but he can't do that unless we trust him and are willing to do what he says. So when it comes to why would we seek such a being in this, uh, why would we we'll be seeking such a being the most important thing in life? Well, the answer is, is because of his singular worth. He can offer us something that no one else can. And that brings to the second point. It's not just his singular worth that we should seek him above all others, but because of our many needs. The truth is, I'm a very vulnerable, dependent creature, and so are you. If you look at our needs, they kind of center in three areas. The first one, our core needs are this. Significance. Every human being wants to feel like we matter. We don't want to have to prove anything to anybody. We don't want to have to look a certain way. We don't want to have to dress a certain way. We don't have to have a certain job. We don't want to have to fit in with a certain crowd. We, we just want to be valuable. We feel like we should matter just because we exist. Every single human being feels that they are equally as valuable and important. Their happiness, their feelings matter as much as anybody else's on the planet. But society kind of keeps juggling us around. We have to keep proving ourselves. We have to keep earning our value, our significance. The second thing that we, we have as a core need is security. We, we just want to feel safe. We just want to feel connected. We want to feel like we belong. We want to feel like there's somewhere that we're always going to be wanted, that we're always going to be safe. We want to feel secure. We want to be able to you know, con consider the future and not wonder what tomorrow is going to bring. These are core needs. Third one is this satisfaction you know we have a lot of physical needs you know we need air to breathe we need food to eat we need water to drink and that kind of thing but we have needs that are far far uh, beyond that we have mental and emotional and relational needs and we know that some of these needs are extremely hard to fulfill I mean sometimes as human beings we're really easy to please for a short time in fact we might feel stupid looking back on our life about how easy we have been to please at certain times in certain situations but ultimately, we are hard to satisfy. And some of you probably can think back, like, yeah, I was really easy to please, but I'm not very satisfied at this point. So we're easy to please, but hard to satisfy. And the reason we're hard to satisfy is because we are image bearers. We're made in God's image, and we know that we were destined for something beyond what we're able to grab hold of and hold on to in this life. 
This life is always changing. The clock is always ticking. Circumstances are unpredictable. Bad things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people. And we just know it shouldn't be this hard. So we search through life for a sense of significance that will be stabilized, a sense that we matter and have worth, that we don't have to prove, that nobody can take away. We seek for security to finally belong, to feel connected, to feel safe, really safe. How many of you guys lock your doors at nights? Can I see your hands? Yeah, yeah, because we live with a measure of fear all the time. We don't have the security that we would love to have. And then satisfaction. We don't want just our physical needs satisfied, but we want our mental and our emotional needs satisfied. And we have needs, we have desires that go way beyond anything that another human being can satisfy in this life. So when we ask this question, why would seeking such a being be the most important thing in life? Well, maybe, maybe no human can meet these deep core needs that we have. Maybe they're impossible to meet uh, apart from our Creator. Listen to this verse from Psalms. Psalm 49, verse 12. It says, people, despite their wealth, do not endure. It's a real simple idea. It's that we think that wealth pretty much can get us what is the best things you can have in this life. If you have wealth, you can get whatever things that you want, and they bring you a measure of pleasure. You can gain various experiences that you want, and that brings you a measure of pleasure. But none of it lasts. It just doesn't last. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. It's saying the clock is ticking. We're all dying. The wealthiest person in the world will never live long enough to enjoy their wealth. And they will spend most of their life just trying to protect their wealth and manage their wealth. It will be a form of stress to them, truth be told. They're like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in who? Themselves. If all I'm going to trust in is myself and trust in what humanity can produce, well, that's okay. If, you don't, if you're good with settling for that in a world where there's hatred and prejudice and disease and death and accidents and cruelty and war and brutality, if you're good with that, if you're good with a few fleeting years that are uncertain, and you don't need anything else, well, then God has nothing to offer you. But I can tell you one thing. You're squelching your deepest desires. And God alone can offer something more. Those that trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. And so these core, these core desires that we have, these core needs, they, they can't be sufficiently met apart from our Creator. Let's look at another verse. It says, on the other hand, the Lord is good to all. Here, here's the warmth, the relational warmth side. Here's our security issue, our significance issue. We matter to God. He has compassion on us. He's personally involved. Do you know that God is the only person, the only person you will ever meet that knows you perfectly? He knows you and he knows me from the inside. Every thought that you've ever thought, every experience you've ever had, God had it there with you and with me. And yet, he still likes us, yet he still loves us. It's kind of stunning. It really is. We matter to him because he created us. He cares for us. He has compassion for us. He has compassion for all he has made. goes on to say, you, Lord, speaking of the Lord, it says, you open your hand and you do what? You satisfy the what? The desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and he's faithful in all he does this talks about our security because he is faithful to us he tells us he will never leave us he will never forsake us he tells us that even if death should overtake us that he will raise us up that we have life beyond this this world 
And so we gain the security that we want, we want, but we can only gain it if we find it in the Lord. There's another verse in Psalm 37. It goes a little further about our, our desires. It says, take delight in the Lord, which is just another way of saying, seek him supremely. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. Now, like I said, the desires of your heart are big. They're way beyond what we tend to think of. You know what you, you desire? One of the things you desire in your heart, you get alone, you check this out. You desire perfect love. You desire perfect relationships. Uh, you, you would love to have everybody that you know, everybody that you meet, feel positive towards you all the time. Always put the best construction on everything you say or do. That you could know that you're loved, you're wanted, you're respected, you're liked, you're admired, you're safe, you're secure. That's a desire of your heart. I'm going to tell you another core desire of your heart. You heard me say this some of you before. If you could blink your eyes, if I could blink my eyes, and I could end all disease right now, I would do it, and so would you. If you could blink your eyes right now and end all prejudice and all hatred all over the planet, who would not do so? If you could blink your eyes right now and end all crime, all war, all cruelty, all violence, how many would say, I would blink my eyes right now? I, I, literally, let me see your hands on this one. You see, but you don't even think about that, about ending all war, all cruelty, all violence, all hatred, all prejudice. You know why we don't? Because you know and I know we as human beings don't have the power to do it. It's not going to happen. But God can do it. In fact, he promises to do it. He promises that evil as we know it, cruelty as we know it, violence, hatred, prejudice, it's got a real, real short shelf life because he promises his kingdom is going to come, his will is going to be done on this very earth just as it's done in heaven. And the life that we saw in Jesus, that's the life that's going to fill this planet and fill the universe. It has an eternal future, but that's only if we seek the Creator. He'll give us the desires of our heart. You won't get the desires of your heart in this life. Don't ever let anybody mislead you. You and I will never receive the fulfillment of the deepest desires of our heart. They can't be fulfilled apart from their creator. It goes on to promise. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he'll do this. He'll give you the desires of your heart. But we're not likely to get all those desires. In fact, I know we're not going to get those desires in this life. So, why would seeking such a being be the most important thing in life? Well, first of all, he's, he's singularly worthy of it. He's the most interesting person. He's the most loving person. He's the most helpful person. And we have multiple needs that we cannot meet as human beings. You, you know what's going to surprise some of you? Some of you know this already, but some of you don't. You're going to be surprised. Mark my words. You're going to be very, very surprised how fast your life is going to go by. Some of you are still at that stage where it feels like you're invulnerable and you're young and you got so many years ahead and you don't even think about life or time and you're going to be shocked. You're going to be shocked at how fast it goes by. I'm not trying to be morbid. I'm not trying to be scary. I'm just trying to be a friend. And you're going to want more. You're going to realize that inside of you is a longing for eternal life. And you want eternal life in a world where it's good and it gets better every single day. You really want that, but you're afraid to bring it up to the surface of your mind because it seems so impossible to have. Well, it is impossible to have apart from our Creator, which is why, again, seeking Him supremely, 
makes more sense than anything else in life. Well, I'm going to close with a story about seeking a treasure and a most interesting man. His name is uh, Forrest Finn, and there's a picture of him. And that box beside you, uh, beside him, it will hold about 40 pounds of uh, all kinds of very, very expensive jewels, like diamonds and rubies and things of that nature. <laughs> and uh, the box is full, 40 pounds. And back in 2010, he decided he was going to take this box and he was going to take it in the Rocky Mountains. And somewhere between Santa Fe and the Canadian border, he was going to hide this box. The box content, they estimate, are worth between two to, f- two to $5 million. And he hid these in the Rocky Mountains. He hid them so well that should he die, and he's 87 years old right now, should he die, no one will know where they're at. He hasn't even told his wife. <laughs> How many of you would not want to be his wife? <laughs> um, so what he did, though, was he started telling people that he had hidden this treasure. And he even wrote this little poem, we have it here, that's like a, a clue. It's 24 verses, and you're, you're supposed to read the poem, and it will give you a clue where exactly the treasure is at. And it's known to be, you know, 2 to $5 million. So just curious, how many of you are going to go seek his treasure? Just any, any hands, any takers? How many of you think anybody would seek his treasure? How do we even know he's telling the truth? But, but how, how many of you think that there are people that would seek it out? Can I see your hands? Yeah, 350,000 so far. Yeah, 350,000. Eagerly scrutinizing that poem, trying to figure out every clue. Now, here's the thing. Of the 350,000 that have sought out this treasure, four of them have lost their life in the process. They, they died in the Rocky Mountains searching for this treasure. It reminds me of the old thing, you know, during the gold rush days, they had something called fool's gold, and it was really pyrite, but it looks like gold, but it really wasn't gold. In fact, the whole Jamestown colony, if you read your history real well, um, it got funded because an English captain convinced the Englishman that we had plenty of gold here, and all he did was take them a boatload of pyrite and they didn't know the difference at the time, or enough to, to not fund the Jamestown colony. So I'm leading up to this, that we're already seeking something, and we're seeking a treasure. We want something to make our life better, to make it as happy as it can possibly be. Only question is, what are we seeking? And if what we're seeking is something that's going to leave us fulfilled, or leave us maybe very, very disappointed, or maybe even destroyed. Four people died seeking this treasure. So there's an interesting verse in the book of Genesis, chapter 15, verse 1. And let me share it with you as I close. It says, Sometime later, Abram had a vision, and the Lord said to him, Abram, do not be afraid. I am like a shield to you. I am your very great, what does this say? reward. Now, it sounds kind of like a brag. God says, Abe, everything you're looking for, man, everything you're looking for, the treasure you're searching for, the happiness that you think is around the corner, it's, it's, it's in me, Abe. I'm your reward. And that creator is saying to us today, the life that you and I have always wanted, the only way we can have it is to seek our creator 
first and foremost. And so I guess as closing today, we should ask ourselves, what is it? Because we're all kind of seeking something supremely. What is it that you and I are seeking supremely right now? It's a good thing to figure out and to find out. Second question is this. Might it be that something has stirred in you today and the Spirit of God has gotten a hold of your attention and has caused you to realize, you know, I, I want to do that. I really am convinced that seeking God supremely is the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that makes rational sense. When I was 23 years old and first turned to Christ, I didn't know much, but one thing clicked in my mind right away. If the creator of the universe was interested at all in me, and if he loved me and was willing to forgive me, and put an arm around my shoulder and, and show me how to live and give me eternal life? Well, I've realized that he meant more than anyone or anything, and that's the way I've lived my life since age 23. And maybe some of you this morning, you want to you make that very same adjustment to make sure that it is Christ that you're seeking first and foremost above everything else. Everything else will fall into place real nicely if we keep him first. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you this morning that you, um, you first of all offer yourself to us. You want us to seek you and you seek us as well. And we thank you that you're, you're willing to give us the very life that our hearts yearn for if we'll only be willing to, to trust you and devote ourselves to seeking you. Help us today to push aside our distrust. Help us to break habits. Help us to seek you this day with all our hearts. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.